Exodus chapter 1. Over the next few months, we are going to go on a journey through the book of Exodus. How many of you have ever read in the book of Exodus? Okay, all right. Have some Baptists in the house. So, uh, today we are going to go through the entire chapter of the, chapter 1. Sorry, I had a brain freeze there for a moment. Chapter 1. Give us some context so we'll have a little bit of perspective. Exodus is the second book in the Torah. Second book in the first five books of Moses. The first half of the book is about the Exodus itself. The Exodus means a way out. Hebrews had become slaves to the most powerful empire in the world at that time. And there was no way out. They were in trouble. Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 is we are going to read it first. So if you do not mind, if you are physically able, please stand in honor of reading God's Word. Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Here's some baby names if you're searching. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. Dan, and Naphtali. Gad, and Asher. Great names, great names. I said Benjamin just to make sure you're awake. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. It's a large family. They had a big table on a Sunday lunch. Then Joseph died. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all, the, all of that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were, were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. You may be seated. This was not a good time to be an Israelite. The introduction of this entire book is basically in the first seven verses. Israel and Jacob is mentioned twice in the 
verse 1, it's basically the same person. It reminds us, reminds us of God's promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verses 2 through 4, we see the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Israel. Remember, it's the sons that basically kicked Joseph to the curb. And the family of 70, they multiplied. And then verse 6, it says that all that generation died. We're all going to die one day, should the Lord tarry. The best way to impact our, the future is not to accumulate and build our own kingdom, but it is to pour out our lives into the next generation. So if you're taking notes, God's chosen people. First we see in verse 7 that the people of Israel were fruitful. And they increased greatly and they multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Israel is blessed to be a blessing. Israel is blessed to be a blessing. In Genesis chapter 12, we see that God made a promise. He said, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That's why God blesses us, so that we'll be a blessing. In that promise, He says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. We'll see God curse the Egyptians in the next few weeks when we get to the plagues. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This doesn't make sense. The Israelites were slaves. How can they possibly bless all nations? Egypt certainly was not the promised land for the Israelites. What was God doing? God blesses us to be a blessing. When we forget this, our blessings can, can become barriers. We forget why God blesses us. Our blessings begin to drive our lives and to drive our calendar and drive our priorities. The more we have, the more we worry about. Affluence is a breeding ground for evil. Affluence is a breeding ground for evil. You look at people that have won the lottery. They'll tell you. Lost all their friends most of the time. Become miserable. That's not always the case. You look at the most affluent um, high schools in the country. That's where the, the most drugs are. That's where the most corruption is. Look at most affluent colleges in America. Affluence is a breeding ground for evil. The Israelites were in a storm. Life was rough. Today, you may be going through a storm. The old saying is that you're either coming out of a storm, you're in a storm right now, or you're about to go through one. And that may be the case for you. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening. So the Israelites were saying, Lord, how are, we, how are you going to get us out of this? How, God, what are you doing? 
Lord, you have let us become slaves to the most wicked empire in the, in the world. Have you ever thought that? God, what in the world are you doing? God, how in the world did I find myself here? Lord, why would you not pull me out of this pit? Maybe that's the same thing that Joseph thought about when his brother sold him into slavery. Joseph had to go to jail for about 10 years. Here's this young man, get kicked out of his family, his brothers disowned him. And he's probably thought, you know, my 20s are supposed to be my best years, but instead I'm rotting away in this jail, in this stinky prison. God, what are you doing? We well, see, God was at work the whole time. God was preparing Joseph to be a great leader. Joseph eventually became the vice president of Egypt, so to speak. He became Pharaoh's right-hand man, and God used Joseph to save all of Egypt, to save Joseph's family. Joseph forgave his brothers. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Next we see that Pharaoh's ignorance brought oppression to Israel. Pharaoh's ignorance brought oppression to Israel. Look at verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. This new Pharaoh. He just didn't know. No one took the time to explain to him who Joseph was. Nobody took the time to pull Pharaoh aside whenever he was in middle school, when he was in high school, and say, well, let me tell you about this Hebrew man named Joseph and how he saved all of Egypt. He just didn't know. Similar to our culture. Similar to us before we came to Christ. We just didn't know. Didn't know. Talked about last week, how can they call on the one of whom they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they... And I heard about. How can they hear unless someone tells them? So the Israelites were in a struggle. Lord, what are you doing? Think about Aaron. Aaron is the brother of Moses. He was there. He was there somewhere, hauling bricks, getting whipped, getting beat up. Heavy burdens. How about Aaron? He's thinking, Lord, it's so hot. Lord, my back hurts. Lord, the shoes they give us are terrible. Lord, do you care about us? Next we see, adversity brings opportunity to gain a new perspective. Adversity brings opportunity to gain a new perspective. Have you ever looked at an old picture of yourself and thought, what in the world was I wearing? Look at those shoes. What about the hairdos from the, nine, from the 80s and 90s? You know, have you ever looked back at your journals? Something that you, you wrote down a long time ago and, and you read it and you think, what was I thinking? You know, and you think, I have grown, I have 
my, my mind on this subject has evolved or, or I've, I've gained a new perspective or the Lord has taught me and brought me along. So we, when we face adversity, it causes us to reflect. It causes us to, to, to think about life and, and where we're headed and where we've come from. Adversity also helps us identify with Christ through suffering. The Israelites carried bricks. Jesus would carry a cross. Psalm 34 verse 19 says that many are the afflictions of the righteous. So this morning, if you have no afflictions going on in your life, I'd say you need to check yourself and say, man, am I a believer? Am I a threat to the spiritual forces of evil in this city? Or like in the book of Acts, when uh, those guys tried to use the name of Jesus to cast out the demons, what did those demons responded and they say, they said, Paul we've heard about and Jesus we know, but who are you? Do the demons know your name? Are you a threat? Or do you just come to church on Sundays? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Next we see God's faithful few. God's faithful few. I want us to read verses 15 through 21. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua. That's a great name. Pua, can you imagine her middle school days? Traumatic. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives, they feared God. And they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God and gave them families, then Pharaoh commanded all his people. Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. God always has His people exactly where He wants them. Did you know that? These young girls, Shifra and Pua, what were their parents thinking when they named them? We don't know. But what their parents lacked in giving names to their, their children, they made up for in discipleship. Because somebody somewhere taught these, these girls, these ladies, about the Lord. There was some Hebrew dad that, that pulled his daughter aside and shared with her about Noah. Not the fuzzy version we tell, but the, the version where, which says that God actually basically initiated the death penalty. God wiped out all creation. That's a terrifying thing. There was a Hebrew mom somewhere 
they pulled their daughter aside and shared about the Lord and His promise that He made to Abraham. And shared about Joseph and how Joseph had to suffer. There was, there was somebody somewhere, grandparents maybe, that taught these ladies about how good the Lord is and about His love and His grace and His patience. These ladies, they were midwives. Somebody taught them what's up. Somebody invested into their life. Parents. Quick note to parents. Your first 18 years from birth until the age 18, we have 6,750 days. 6,750 days. Birth for the first 18 years. The clock is ticking. We can either spend our days on things that do not matter, or we can invest in what does matter. We can let our children play on a few ball teams per year, or we can let them play on 15 ball teams. We can let them be in a couple different programs, which are great, and it helps get us out of our Christian bubble, and we should. Or we can let them be a part of 35,000 programs and never have time with our family. Parents, the days are limited. We need to be wise about how we spend them. Next we see that God's faithful few keep a healthy fear of the Lord. God's faithful few keep a healthy fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7, listen to this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 31 verse 19 says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, and work for those who take refuge in you, in the sight of the children of mankind. I want to talk about fear real quick as we get ready to close. Chapter 1, by the way, is very difficult to preach through because it's so sporadic. But what it's doing, it's setting up a beautiful story of the gospel. It's setting up what's going to happen. You guys ever read a, read a book in the first few chapters? You're like, man, this is kind of boring. And then you make it to like chapter 5 and all of a sudden, whoa. It's a little bit what's taking place here. Not that God's Word is boring, but it's setting up a beautiful picture. I want to talk about fear real quick. Real quick. There's two kinds of fear. This sounds real theological, but there's, there's the fear of the scary, the scary things and our circumstances. The fear of uh, snakes. Some of you have a fear of snakes, right? Some of you are like, no, I'm not afraid of snakes. And thunderstorms and, and lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. And then there's the fear of our circumstances. You know, the fear that I'm out of control. So that this kind of fear, by the way, it seems as though God doesn't want us to be afraid of anything. The solution to this kind of fear, we can conquer it with Isaiah 41, verse 10. Isaiah 41 Verse 10, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. 
Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So the Lord doesn't want us to be afraid. Parents, we're either going to raise our children to be terrified of all kinds of things, or we're going to teach them to fear the Lord. People may think that our little family is bizarre, but we, we try not to let our two-year-old watch scary things. A lot of the popular movies and TV shows, they really were designed, as, as far as the mainstream summer blockbusters, the movies, they're really designed for preteens and teenagers and adults. They may be children, but, but not really for a two-year-old. And so when a two-year-old or a three-year-old is having to take in these concepts that's really past their developmental stages, it can terrify them. I can tell when my two-year-old has watched a movie they shouldn't have because they get in the bed and they're scared to death. Daddy, come sleep with me. Daddy, can I come sleep with you and Mommy? Now, sometimes that, a lot of times that happens just because they don't want to go to sleep. But I can tell when they've seen something that they probably shouldn't have seen. That's why if you're a millennial in the room today, that's why... A lot of us have issues because we grew up watching these Disney movies. I mean, think about when you were a child. Now, I know I'm getting on your territory. But think about when you're a kid and you're four years old, you really shouldn't have to be having to process why uh, Simba loses, loses his dad. Now, I know that's precious to some of your childhoods. But The Lion King is a great movie. But if you're one or two or three... And you watch that movie, you can be terrified. I mean, when I watched Wizard of Oz when I was five, I still have scars and nightmares over the monkeys. Anybody with me? We carry these things our whole life. So the reason some of you have problems is because the movies and things you watched when you were a kid. By the way, do you know the real reason that Simba lost his dad? Because he couldn't move Fossa. He couldn't move Fossa. Bad joke. But we want our children, you know, we want our children to be able to sneak Bibles into other countries. We want them to be able to, to not be afraid. We want them to be on the front lines of what God is doing. And if, if, if they're terrified and struggling with things that they, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I better move on. Fear of God. So let's talk about the fear of God. This is a healthy fear. This is a respectful fear. When you fear God, you do not play around with the things that God hates. I'm going to say that again. When you fear God, you do not play around with the things that God hates. You just don't. Why? Because you fear the Lord. There are people in this room today, you don't fear God. Because if you really did, you wouldn't live like you do. Proverbs 14, verse 26 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of God stands up to all other fear. The fear of the Lord brings peace, rest, comfort, and security. Proverbs 19, verse 23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it, rest satisfied. 
The fear of God is not this fear that, oh, the Lord's going to strike me down. But it's a fear that, that it's, it's just a healthy respect. I'd like to read an excerpt from the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Mr. Mr. Beaver told Susan, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The Lord is all powerful. Genesis says he, there's a phrase in the book of Genesis, first chapter, that says, and he also made the stars like it was nothing. He's powerful. As believers, we need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. So recap. Recap and then we'll close. God's chosen people. Israel is a blessing to be a blessing. Pharaoh's ignorance brought oppression to Israel. Adversity brings opportunity to gain a new perspective. Then we see in verses 15 through 21, God's faithful few. God always has His people exactly where He wants them. Last week there was a parade, and uh, some a lot of you guys were there, and a lot of fun was going on. And so me and my wife, we did a drive-by of the parade just because we wanted the scenic route. And uh, so we, we were going home, and I began to get a little heartbroken as I saw a few things that just kind of, I thought, I think that probably breaks the Lord's heart. I saw children that the parents really weren't paying attention, almost got run over. Um, not to say that people weren't having a good time and having a good time the right way. By the way, those of you that were there, hopefully you were having a good time the right way. But we drove by one float. But I heard a lot of music that I'm pretty sure did not honor the Lord. And then I heard, drove by one float, and it was blaring like this Jesus song. And I was like, oh man. And, and like they had things about the Lord on the float. And I look right there. God has His people right there in the midst of all this. And we got home, and Allison, we drive two cars to church, which makes no sense because we live in the same house. But some of y'all do the same thing. It's, it's crazy. We're, we're wasting gas. But especially teenagers are the worst parents. They're like, I'm going to drive. No, you're not. Get in the car. Get in the minivan. Minivans are cool. We're going to make minivans cool again. So... But we got home and Allison says, did you see that float? It was playing like that music. What song were they playing? We Believe. Oh, it was awesome. I don't know. It was just, I got excited about it. So God always has His people where He wants them. And these two girls, you see, Shifra and Pua, they feared the Lord. And God used them to rescue people's lives. God used them to stand in the gap. Another example quickly of God has His people where He wants them. When I was in college, some of us would paint up. I know this is, sounds like um, 
sounds like pagan worship to some of you. But we would paint up, and at the Ole Miss BCM, we would put a cross right here, and we'd paint up, and sometimes, one time we, we painted Jesus Saves. And we were on the Jumbotron football game. 65,000 people, and they're getting to see it. Jesus Saves. And we put Scripture on our backs. And I can't tell you, a few times when I did that, so many senior adults would come up to us with tears in their eyes saying, thank you for representing the Lord. There were times when sorority girls and fraternity brothers, and they, they would come up to us and say, what does that verse mean? God always has His people right where He wants them. I shared that story this morning, and I know that the LSU BCM, they call themselves the Painted Posse. They got in trouble a few years ago. Isn't that cool to get in trouble for loving the Lord? I love it. And so they, they paint this cross and the, at the LSU football games, the crazy guys you guys see on TV, if it's the group that I'm thinking about, they love the Lord. And so I was sharing that in the first service, and after the service, a college student comes up to me. He came to visit this morning, and he said, I'm a part of the painted posse. I took a picture with him for proof if you want to see it. I got so excited. God has His people right where He wants them. The Lord is looking, looking to and fro, saying, who's going to go for me? Who's going to go stand in the gap? God's faithful few keep a healthy fear of the Lord. What about you this morning? Maybe you are find yourself in a situation kind of like the Israelites. It's hot. It seems like there's no hope. It seems like God's forgotten about you. I want to tell you this morning, the Lord sees. He sees you. He sees your circumstances and He cares. And just like we'll see in the coming weeks, God deliver the Israelites. He wants to deliver you. And for some of us this morning, that may happen today. That may happen during the invitation time. But for some of you other folks, maybe it's going to be a process. Maybe it's going to be a couple weeks, a couple months. God wants to deliver you of certain things in your life. The Lord is here. He's here. He wants to clean us up. The people in the room that have never repented and put their faith in Christ, people that have no relationship with the Lord, today He wants to save you. Today, He wants you to come to Him just as you are. and He'll clean you up. He'll forgive you. You can simply come and confess Jesus as your Lord. Whatever decision you need to make today, know that God is for you. He's not against you. Now, if you don't know Christ, He is against you. Isaiah says that our sins separate us from God. So before we come to know the Lord as our Savior, we're separated. In fact, we're enemies of God. Why? Because we are sinful and He is holy. He is holy and we are not. So there has to be some, something that connects us to the Lord. That's why Christ came. Two weeks from now, we're going to read Exodus chapter 2. And we're going to see how God, how God sent a baby. God sent a baby boy 
to help bring about the redemption of His people. So the Exodus is a picture of the gospel. Will you pray with me?